wherever you may be around the world. And thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truthnumber2letteru.org. I'm John and joining me all the way from Louisiana is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, Amazon number one best-selling author, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. How you doing, Jono? Doing pretty well. Is it uh, still, I, th- I think it's still number one. What's, what's the latest? What's the news in the Moses Scroll? It is... It's all over the place. So let me just say, at the very moment that we are recording, the Moses Scroll is in a tight race. Evidently, there's some other book by some other author who just bumped us to number two new release. (laughs) Uh, Can you believe that? I mean, number two, you know what they say, number two is the first loser. So now (laughs) I'm officially a loser. No, I... But it goes back and forth, you know. It's like some days there there are more books that are shipped, and and evidently today this other book, you know, I, I'm right. sure it's a great book. It's bumped yeah. me. So All number right. two. But let me I'm let sorry. me say this: there's a lot going on right now. Uh, James Tabor and I and uh, the Tylers have quite a bit going in regards to the Moses Scroll. Mm-hmm. James and I have been in a lot of conversation with. Uh, various other experts on uh, Shapira's manuscript, and, mm-hmm. and those people would be uh, Matthew Hamilton, your Australian uh, person. Yep, he's an Aussie. He is the world's authority, let's say. Let's just say it like it is. This guy is a genius. He's got so much material. Anything that we think we've discovered, we write Matthew Hamilton, and he'll say, yes, uh, that's actually here, 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 here. Mm. And he, he provides us anything we need. He's the man. I spoke yesterday with Yoram Sabo, who is the ah. Israeli expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked uh, via WhatsApp, which is a nice tool. You know, mm-hmm. We talked for quite a bit about some things that are going on. Uh, and then the Tylers are presently translating some German documents for me that uh, James and I have been back and forth on. Uh, Dave and Patty Tyler said, hey, let's let this professional translate it, and I'll tell your listeners on Truth To You something. This is news. No one else knows this. You ready for this, Jono? Yeah. Uh, sometime back in May, this uh, the Tylers hired this young, brilliant German linguist to translate for me a document that was written in 1883 by Hermann Goethe. Now, people who've read my book are familiar that he and another scholar by the name of Ed Meyer, uh, Edward Meyer, worked for one week examining the document, the Moses Scroll, and they both believed it was authentic. And so we have these letters that are between Ed Meyer his teacher, George Ebers, and another scholar by the name of Adolf Ehrman. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, we translated them roughly, and James Tabor knows German, but he doesn't have time. He's too busy. He doesn't have time to translate every word. Mm. So Dave and Patty said, hey, we'll get Mitchell Gold to do it. So that's in the works. And one other announcement I'll make is that I will be publishing a book, another book, not the Moses Scroll, but it's related. This book will be published no later than September the 1st, which mm-hmm. is my 55th birthday, and it's going to be a really interesting read. Uh, so that's why we've got this translator working with us again. And right. so that's coming out. And then one other thing, this weekend, um, as, as we enter into Pesach, mm. the New York Times print edition, which 
is read by millions and millions of people, mm-hmm. will feature the story of Shapira, primarily Idan Dershowitz's work. I don't think they know about the Moses Scroll and Ross Nichols, but it's going to probably and hopefully and potentially send people to Google to say Moses Shapira, enter, mm-hmm. and then hopefully we'll pop up with some of these shows and they'll say, hey, I got to get that book. All and, right. And, there and, you once go. Again, and I've said this on the program before. Uh, both of these books are absolute perfect companions because while you go into some significant detail uh, as to the story of uh, mm-hmm. starting from when, well, actually not even starting from when uh, Moses Shapira uh, got the scroll, you go right back to the Moabite stone. I do, and, yep. and how And how that all happened and how it's related and, and it really is important that you do that. Uh, the detail in the story that you have um, is really, I mean, it's, it's gripping. It's, it's a real mystery. Once you start reading it, you, you cannot put it down. Uh, you do have um, some, you have the translation, you have the transcription, you have some details in regards to uh, the paleo and so on and so forth. But Idan Dershowitz's book really does go far and beyond uh, as yeah. far as the, the grammar of the Hebrew and the paleo and so on and so forth. He really does do that at a very high level. So they're Excellent companions, both of these books on the same topic. And neither of us knew, we've already said this, but Mm. neither of us knew that the other was working on it. So it's so amazing. I I mean, my book has 218 pages. His has 217. We both have the translation, the transcription. I do, as you say, go into more detail. But from a philological standpoint, from uh, the the linguistics and, and the technical academic aspects uh, Dershowitz really knocks it out of the park. And James really and I have been com- uh, having some good back and forth with uh, Edan. Uh, great guy, really nice guy. So, mm. in fact, uh, that's kind of what we're going to do tonight, isn't it? We're going to talk a little bit about how both of our works bring out some very interesting things about mm-hmm. an interesting subject. So, so I'm ready. Just, but before yep. we get there, can I just ask you a question? Was it... Was it down- was there an article on the front page of the New York Times this weekend past, or is that about to be released this weekend? Which, which is it? There, there, yes and yes. So last oh, really? week, or this week, the international edition of the New York Times uh, published a front page story front page. in one of the sections on, uh, and I forget which exact uh, uh, section it was, but it published the story of Edan Dershowitz's book, mm. uh, front page. And so yeah. this is really exciting because this uh, Jennifer Schusler, mm. who wrote the article for the New York Times Excellent that appeared uh, some time back, it is a great article, uh, her article now, as I understand it, will be featured in the print edition, whereas before it was just the online uh, edition. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, so lots of good great. things going on. That's, uh, the, that was then followed by... The world by, is talking about the it. The world is talking, and this is the reason why I want to bring this up, is because it then appeared in an excellent article in the Jerusalem Post. I forget the name of the author of that article, but that really was good, and it's worth looking up to your listeners. Maybe I'll put a link uh, under this podcast. That was good. And, and then there were echoes of those uh, articles throughout various other magazines and, uh, and publications. So... Uh, yeah. It's it's back in the front page news as it was in 1883, and we did discuss that last week as well. Um, there's this this whole lot of stuff that you and I've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. 
Let me let me tell you. You get comfortable there in your little chair, and I'll tell you a story. Right, look, hold on, hold on. All right. Okay, I'm ready. You got a cuppa? I'm ready. All right. So you'll remember uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it's a couple of years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, maybe it was 2018. <clears throat> and you and I were having this discussion about what exactly did Moses write? What didn't mm-hmm. he write? What obviously did he not write? Uh, clearly, there is uh, the, the the Torah tells us things that Moses wrote. Yep. And uh, and how would it be possible to hone in on exactly what was written? Because we, the, the curious thing is that uh, the book of Deuteronomy does talk about a scroll of the Torah of Moses that was given mm-hmm. to the Levites that was placed with the ark. And we don't know exactly what the contents of that was. Uh, and so it's a curious question. And I remember when, uh, I don't know, it would have been maybe a decade ago, honestly, Ross, it, was, it, was, um, it could have been a decade ago. Uh, here on Truth to You, and I think it was in a conversation, uh, a recording with uh, Nehemiah Gordon, and mm-hmm. he said in the midst of the conversation in those latter chapters of Deuteronomy, he said the controversial thing, of course, is um, the question is what was on that scroll? And then right. we sort of skipped <laughs> over that, and, and I went, in the back of my mind, I'm like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. You don't know what was on the scroll. Anyway, I made a little mental note, and uh, never really returned to that with everything that was going on until you and I were having a, having this conversation. And I think it was a, it must have been around September because we were talking about uh, the end of uh, Sukkot, the, uh, mm-hmm. the time of the year when uh, Jews read through the entire Torah from the beginning to the end, right? Right, um, and that's from Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 and 11. It's at the year of release, at during the time of Sukkot, and they do this, yeah. Mm. And uh, we were chatting about that and uh, and the fact that it takes a long time. And you, you mentioned that uh, there are people there within United Israel that actually do this. They read through the entire – they take turns and they uh, they do it all in one sitting. So, And I said to you, huh, yeah, so – how long does that take? Because um, I, it, that must take some significant time. And you said, "Yeah, well, it's it's it takes over a day, doesn't it? Isn't it over twenty? Yeah, it's, hours? it's over twenty. It's over twenty hours. It's around twenty hours or so. Mm. Yeah. So uh, depending on the speed, so uh, it's it's a it's a serious undertaking. But of course, it popped into my head that hang on a minute, we actually have a timeline for the reading of the Torah, and that took us to Nehemiah chapter eight. So I'm just yep. going to go there now. Let me just okay. read this to you. All right. Uh, when the seventh month arrived, the Israelites being settled in their towns, the entire people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the scroll of the Torah of Moses mm-hmm. with which the Lord had charged Israel. So there it is. They've got the scroll of the yep. Torah of Moses, right? Uh, on the first day of the seventh month. Now, interestingly, it doesn't refer to this day as Yom Teruah. We may talk about that some other time. Uh, but yep. it is nevertheless the first day of the seventh month. Ezra, the priest, brought the teaching before the congregation, the men, the women, and all who would listen with understanding. Uh, he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from, and here it is, from the first light until midday. Mm-hmm. So what we know, uh, and, and not only that, but we have it says that the men and the women and those who could understand uh, the ears of all the people were given to the scroll of the teaching. So they listened intently. And it goes on to say that the Levites also gave explanation. They, they, you know, as they were reading through the scroll, the Levites were explaining things to the people. Um, so what we know is that around that time of the year, 
you know, it's close to the equinox, and so we're really talking about no more than six hours uh, did they have time to read through the scroll of the Torah of Moses mm-hmm. and, uh, and have time to give explanation within that. Yep. Then you and I were thinking, well, obviously they didn't read the whole of the Torah, uh, as you know, most people are led to believe. They simply did not have the time. What then did they read? Yeah, And we speculated that perhaps it was the book of Deuteronomy, and there's reasons for that, and we'll go into that a little later, but it had me rattled. And uh, because up until this point, and this was the point, by the way, uh, Ross, this was the point- I remember, yeah. (laughs) Where I switched from being pretty much a fundamentalist, I think I could say, um, to to someone who was, how would I describe it? How would you describe it? Open Open. to consider, yeah. Yeah, open to consider, okay. Uh, We'll say it that way. And uh, so in the midst of trying to allow this information to settle uh, and what to do with it and how to think about this and where to pursue what exactly was written, uh, I spoke to a very good friend of mine, a rabbi, um, and you know, I, I know you know maybe 10 prominent rabbis with whom I can uh, discuss these sort of, sorts of things. Very lucky to be able to do that. And, uh, and my friend said to me, I, I, I first said, look, here in Nehemiah 8, uh, Ezra reads the Torah to the people what was read. And, mm-hmm. uh, and my friend uh, said, well, um, that's the Torah. He would have read the Torah. And I said, well, uh-huh. hang, hang on. It, it take, it, it, he read it from midday until, uh, from, from dawn until midday. And then my friend revised the answer. Because <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, clearly there wasn't enough time. And I said, so what was written? So he revised the answer and he said this, Ross. He said, well, well, I mean, most likely what, what would have been read was, get this, the Ten Commandments, the blessings, and the curses. And I thought, mm. okay, all right, well, that's interesting. So I went away with that information and uh, and I went to, to have a look at, at this. And now this was before you came into contact with the Moses Scroll. Right. And uh, this is before you started uh, looking at that um, uh, particular Yeah, topic. I didn't even know about Shapira at this time. You, you didn't even know about Shapira. Yeah. And it wasn't too long after that um, that it did come to your attention. And one thing that you brought to my attention that I had never thought of before, <laughs> things that you find out, Ross, <laughs> things that you find out that just change yep. the way you view the entire book. You came to me and you said, hey- Guess what? There's no blessings in the Torah. <laughs> and I said, "What?" Yeah, and, and now everyone this- who's listening is going to say, "Yes, there are." Ross is wrong, and then we're going to show them. But go ahead. I'm sorry. This go is, ahead. This is what I well initially that was what popped into my head, as was usually my default when you and I have conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> up until that point, Ross. Up until the point where we had that that conversation about Nehemiah. Um, and, uh, and, and again, it's, it was simply just my default because as a fundamentalist, you, you have to have your, you have to put your agreed assumption somewhere. Um, yep. and, and for me to be able to, to move that, uh, and to change that, I need something concrete to anchor my new assumptions to, you know, yep. because you can, you can ask the question why to every single place that you say, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to put my, I'm going to draw the line here. And then someone says, why? No, well, eventually mm-hmm. you've got to stop asking why it just gets silly. But if there's somewhere concrete to draw that line, then I'm happy to move yep. it. Anyway, yep. so we did that. And uh, it, you you continue to do some very serious study 
uh, and you were planning to write the book uh, on, you know, what, 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 what the, the book was going to be called the um, Finding uh, the Hand of Moses, the Torah within our Torah. Yeah, yeah, the hand yeah, of Moses, something like the, that, or the hand of Moses and the finger of God. There was a couple of uh, mm-hmm. titles that you were toying with, and it was really, it was fascinating. It was a fascinating study. You were uh, doing some excellent research, <laughs> but when you came. It, into, into this, and you came to me, and I had absolutely no no idea the blessings are missing. Now, what we're going to talk about is uh, the blessings and the curses and the geography of that event. Ross, step in. Yeah, theologically and geographically, uh, all around this interesting story within the story, we're going to focus on Ebal or Ebal and Grizim. These, this, uh, it's mentioned. Ebal and Grizim are mentioned in three places in the Tanakh. So what we have is we have Deuteronomy chapter eleven, mm-hmm. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-seven, and then Joshua chapter eight. So that's kind of where we're going to try to focus. And, and I'll have to say, Jonah, this is a lot of material. What I'm working on right now is trying to get my thoughts, get my head wrapped around what the Bible says about this particular spot where the blessings and the curses uh, are first commanded that, according to Moses in Deuteronomy. It's only in Deuteronomy. He says that when you cross into the land, you're going to read or call out the blessings and the curses from these two locations, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of think about this. First of all, I think we can go, let's go to Deuteronomy 11 first, where we mention, where we have mentioned in the Torah of Moses, uh, this idea that you're going to do this on these two mounts in Hebrew, har, har eval, Mm -hmm. har grizim, okay? So if we go go first to Deuteronomy chapter eleven, you want to do it. You want to do it like uh, this, or do you want to start with Joshua? I'm kind of feeling like we want to start with Joshua eight. Okay, okay, um, do that. The reason, then. Go to the Joshua reason why 8. I want to do this is because um, it, it's interesting that uh, my, my friend who I was talking to about uh, what would have been read, and he said, "Well, you know, really, I guess it would have been the in that period of time the, the, the commandments, the blessings, and the curses." And it's interesting you should have put it that way because that's the way that Joshua uh, puts it as well. Uh, It says in Joshua chapter 8 from um, verse 30, At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. As Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites, as it is written in the book of the teachings, that's the scroll of the uh, Torah of Moses, an altar of unhewn stone. Again, this is written on the scroll of the Torah of Moses. We know that much because this is what uh, Joshua tells us. An altar of unhewn stone upon which no iron has been wielded. Uh, they offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord and brought sacrifices and well, of well-being. Uh, and there on the stones he inscribed a copy of the teaching that Moses had written for all Israel. So he mm-hmm. wrote a copy of the teaching that Moses had written. Um, the Torah. The Torah. Okay. It's written. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, all Israel, a stranger and citizen alike, with their officers and their officials and their magistrates, they stood on either side of the ark, uh, facing the facing the, the Levitical priests mm-hmm. uh, who carried the ark, the Lord's covenant. Half of them faced uh, Mount Gerizim, half of them faced Mount Ival. So just to um, uh, go over <clears> this again, we have the Levites in the middle, they're in the valley there. We have yep. half 
half the tribes on one mountain, half on the other, and they're facing the valley. They're facing so, each other. So let me, let me make sure I have this straight and the listeners do. So as you envision this, as we read it, we see the tribes pushed there. We're going to see in a minute which tribes are on which side of the mm-hmm. valley, so to speak. You have Levites in the middle, and some of the Levites are facing Mount Eval, and some of the Levites are facing Mount Grizim. Is that the way you read that? Oh, it it, it could be like that, or it, or it could be that uh, half of Israel is facing Mount Gerizim and fa- half of Israel is facing Mount Eval, because, in other words, they're, they're uh, facing each other with the Levites in the middle. Okay, but let me just make clear. The Levites aren't on either mountain. The no. Levites, according, they're in the middle, right? They're in the middle, yeah. Okay, yeah. keep going. I'm ready. Uh, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them of old. Uh, that's interesting. Of old, we can mm-hmm. talk about these phrases. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to bless uh, the people of Israel. After that, he read, he read because that's written. After that, he read all the words of the teaching, the blessings and the curse. The blessings and the curse. Here it is, the Torah, the blessing, and the curse. That's the order uh, of what was read, just as it is written in the book of the teaching, the scroll of the Torah of Moses. There was not Mm -hmm. one word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua failed to read in the presence of the entire assembly of Israel, including the women and the children, strangers, and those who accompanied them. So uh, that's a real go-to verse for my Karaite buddies, of course. Um, This particular passage really does uh, make it clear that that which Moses wrote down was entirely written and everything that was written uh, Joshua copied it was written it was not oral there it is and what we have once again we have uh, half the tribes on one side half on the other side the Levites in the middle Ross yes excellent point this is a good Karite verse so you have as you pointed out they're they're going to read the Torah of Moses including the blessings and the curses Mm-hmm. Right. So and now what's supposed to happen at Eval and Grazim is exactly what it says here in Joshua, I think. So what we need to do now is say, where is it said that this will take place? Because here in Joshua 8, it says just as Moses commanded. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do now is go look at what Moses commanded. I'm glad you started with Joshua 8. Now it's good. All right. Now you want to go to uh Deuteronomy, I've got all these Bibles. I wish I had a massive giant desk. (laughs) You know, I have a pretty big desk, and I was thinking before we got on this call, I need to drag a table in here because I have so much scattered out (laughs) because I'm working on this. Uh, It's not enough room. But, yeah, let's go first to Deuteronomy 11 if we can. 11. Uh, Because in Deuteronomy 11, we're first introduced to what – uh, this Mount Eval, Mount Grizim, and the blessings and the curses. That's where it appears first, Deuteronomy 11. Mm-hmm. And if we start in verse 26 um, at the white space, just quickly, it says, Behold, I set before you this day, today basically, mm. a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey uh, the commandments of Jehovah your God or Hashem your God, which I command you this day, and a curse mm-hmm. if you don't obey the commandments of Hashem your God. But you turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you've not known. Then there's a space and it says, It will come to pass uh, when Hashem your God has brought you into the land into which you do go to possess it, 
that you shall put the blessing on Mount Grazim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Mm -hmm. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan? Now, let me just pause. This makes sense because this is written as if it's it's first person. It's like Mm -hmm. Moses is saying, now Moses is on and the children of Israel are east of the rift. They're east of the Jordan. Mm. He's saying, when you get over there, meaning on the west side, the other side, by way where the sun goes down, that points us west, in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the Aravah over against Gilgal, besides the Terebinths of Moray. Um, and then it goes on for your pass over the Jordan. Okay. Now, what happens next, uh, Jono, is something we'll just touch on and we can come back unless you want to get into it now, because he's talking very specifically. When you cross over, you're going to do the blessings and the curse. I put the blessing curse before you. And, 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 the, get- and once again, just sorry to interrupt, but the, um, the order is identical to Joshua. It is the blessings and then the curses, and these things will be pronounced. Go. That's right. And then when you then something strange happens, Jono, at least it's strange to me now. It wasn't for 28 years of my life, I guess. But when you get to, ch- as you move into chapter 12, you enter into what s- scholars identify as the legal corpus or the mm-hmm. law code of mm-hmm. Deuteronomy. From chapters 12 through 26, It's almost as if Moses is interrupting himself here and begins to detail this large body of laws. Now, I want to add this because I want people to understand that if you read Deuteronomy 12 through 26, it contains more than more than 100 laws that we've never heard before. Mm -hmm. All right. This is according to Richard Elliott Friedman in, in his assessment a hundred laws. So it's, it no, introduces. No, sorry to interrupt. To, when you say, just yep. for the people, when you say that we've never heard before, what you mean is they haven't appeared in the Torah up until this point. That's right. They right. are either, they're new. Um, yeah, they're a new or they give us some different things that we've not heard before. Mm-hmm. I, I one, one just off the top of my head is an idea that occurs throughout Deuteronomy chapters 12 through 26 is a concept that we've not become familiar with until this point. Let's call it centralized worship. Um, and, and it's very interesting because in chapter 12 through 26 of Deuteronomy, we get the idea that there's only one place where sacrifices can take place. And it's, it's known in three different ways in the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is called the place he will choose. And then there's another phrase that's used in Deuteronomy, only Deuteronomy 12 through 26, uh, where his name is there. Uh, Then another one is his name dwells there. Now, all three of these, they're mainly uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Deuteronomy chapter 15, 16, chapter 26, and chapter even into chapter 31 these ideas come up. But listen, Jono, nowhere else in the Torah is this ever seem to come up. Let me let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. The patriarchs don't seem to know that there's only one place that sacrifices can take place. You agree? 
Sure. I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and, and the same goes even in the later biblical period. For instance, Elijah offers a sacrifice on Mount Carmel. That's not the place that was chosen. Mm. So, so it seems interesting. Okay. Now, that's just one example. The monarchy is another example. No one, uh, it's only in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20, that we get introduced to the monarchy. We won't go through a hundred different laws. Those are just two examples. So chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, it says that there's a blessing and curse going to take place on Ebal and Gerizim. Then 15 chapters of laws. Now look at chapter 27 of Deuteronomy. Let's start in verse 1 because that puts us better. Go ahead. So 27 begins uh, the... Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged all the people as follows, keep the entire commandments that I am commanding you today. On the day that you cross over the Jordan into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and cover them with plaster. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to uh, enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, um, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So when you have crossed over the Jordan... You shall set up these stones uh, about which I am commanding you today on Mount Ebal, and, and you shall cover them with plaster. You shall build an altar there to the Lord your God, an altar of stones which you have not used an iron tool. Uh, you must build uh, the altar of the Lord your God of unhewn stones and then offer up a burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Make sacrifices of well-being. Eat them there, rejoicing before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones... All the words of this law very clearly. You're going to cross over. You're going to write the Torah. You're going to take two these great stones and you're going to cover them with plaster and write all the words of the Torah and so forth. Okay, we're straight so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse four, and it will be when you've gone over the Jordan, you set up these stones, which I command you this day on Mount Eval, cover them with plaster. And then you get this uh, building an altar thing, altar of stones. And then when you get down to verse 8, you shall write upon the stones all the words of this Torah very plainly. Now, the question I have, which stones are you writing the Torah on, okay? Is it the stones that are talked about in verse 1 through 4, and then again in verse 8, or are you writing the Torah on the stones of the altar? This is a big Mm. question. It's been debated for uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in rabbinic literature mm. and so forth. That's a big question, but we can keep going now. But I just wanted to ask that question. Uh, now look at verse 9. Okay. Uh, then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Keep silent uh, and hear, O Israel. This very day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, Obey the Lord your God, observing his commandments and his statutes that I am commanding you today. The same day, Moses charged the people as follows. When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim for the blessing of the people. Are you ready? Here's the list. Yep, I'm ready. And and this is odd. This is interesting. Um, these are the ones that stand on Mount Gerizim. Habrakah, right? The blessing of uh, the, the Mount of Blessing. Mm-hmm. Simeon. Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. 
Okay. And these shall stand, and six, we have six, right? And these shall stand mm-hmm. on Mount Ebal for, uh, for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So we have six aside. Mm-hmm. Then the Levites, Ross, then the Levites shall, de- because this is their job. This is what we read about yep. in, uh, in Joshua. The Levites shall declare in a loud voice to all the Israelites, and then all of a sudden we jump into the curses. Well, wait, this is- before you go to the curses, wait, before you go to the curses, let me get this straight. Joshua seems to depict the Levites in the middle mm-hmm. and the Israelites on Mount Grazim and Mount Ebal. But here, so the Levites are going to now be, according to Deuteronomy 27, they are on Mount Grazim. Yes. And so when they speak with a loud voice, the people closer to them would hear it uh, very clearly. Sure. But those on Mount Ebal might not hear it nearly as well. But in Joshua, doesn't it seem to suggest that the Levites are in the middle and not on one mountain or the other? Well, that's that's exactly what it suggests. Uh, without a doubt, it's saying that the Levites are in the valley with the Ark of the Covenant, and they are, and their job is to proclaim to each side the blessing and the curse. Okay. Um, so, but here in Deuteronomy, what we have is. Levy on Gerizim, yelling <laughs> with all their might, no doubt, to Mount yep. Ebal to proclaim the curse, and they jump immediately into the curses. And so, but but if you read from verse fifteen down through twenty six, mm-hmm. all we get are the curses. After That's being right. told that we're going to have the blessing and the curses, we only get the curses, right? Well, but there's a reason for that, and the reason is okay. is because there's. They've placed this narrative has placed the Levites on the mountain of blessing, and it's the mountain of blessing where the Levites pronounce the curses to Mount Ival, and there are no Levites on Mount Ival to to reciprocate. Uh, other than yeah. that, Ross, in in addition to that, Deuteronomy interrupts the. Uh, it interrupts the order. We're, we're constantly listening to. Um, uh, the the Torah, the blessings and the curse. The Torah, the blessings and the curse. The Torah, the blessings, curse. Here, all of a sudden, we've gone the Torah and then the curses, and we don't get the corresponding blessings. Go. It's like something is missing. It seems. Well, now, well, this, by the way, th- yeah. this, by the way, has been brought up by plenty of commentators uh, for many, many years. This well, is the even point in the that I. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's discussed in the Mishnah, saying, "Yeah, you know what? We know that the um, the blessings are missing. Uh, let's just assume that they were read." Yeah, that that's basically uh, the, the way the, the Mishnah deals with it. So the main thing that stands out, really stands out to me, is that we don't have uh, the blessings. Now, hmm. some might argue, some might say, "I don't know." When you get to chapter twenty-eight, you get, and these things will come upon you: the blessings and the curse. But what we're looking at is something very unique in chapter yep. 27, verse 15 through 26. And these are um, curses that are specific. Cursed be, cursed be, cursed be. Mm. And in some cases, they seem to be associated with the uh, the Decalogue. You know, mm. there are a couple of them, but not all of them. I mean, some mm. of them kind of touch on that. You know, cursed be the man that makes any carved or molten idol. Uh, the one that dishonors my, uh, father and mother, you know, I mean, there are some of these that seem to be associated with the 10 words, but not all. Some are associated with other uh, Torah legislation, if you will. Sure. Uh, well, so this now, the is, reason why, the reason really why we strange. know that 
It, it is really strange. The reason why we know that they are missing is because there are corresponding blessings to curses. That which we read about, um, uh, you know, you'll be blessed in the in the country and blessed in the city and uh, blessed be mm-hmm. the fruit of your womb and your basket and da 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 da. Also has a corresponding section in the curses. Um, uh, for that, and but when it comes to this particular list uh, that we see in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-seven, there is no corresponding section for the blessings um, noted yep. in in the Mishnah, as as I mentioned, and I think noted by Ibn Ezra. Is that right? Yeah, I think he touches it too. Yeah, a lot mm. of these guys. This is what's so incredible is when you go back and read like Ibn Ezra and and uh, others who were very closely looking at the text, they noticed these strange things. They thought, wow, what, what's missing here? Uh, and, so it's not anything new. It's not anything new. And just again to emphasize, uh, additionally, we know that it's missing because clearly Joshua had it. Joshua wrote down right. the, the Torah, the blessings and the curses, and we know that the blessings come between. Um, mm-hmm. So this is uh, well established, but never uh, had I seen that until you <laughs> highlighted it for me, and that totally blew my mind. Now, what what blew my mind even further? Uh, can we talk about the Moses Scroll? Yeah, we we certainly can. You can you can jump on that now if you want to. All right. Well, I'm I, all I'm going to say is that um, the blessings appear in the Moses Scroll. They they, they don't do. appear in the Torah that we have, but they do appear mm-hmm. in what is uh, speculated to be the Scroll of the Torah of Moses. One of the things that I determined as before I knew about Moses Shapira and the scroll that he presented to the world, which I ultimately believed was genuine, uh, as as did and does Edan Dershowitz, the Harvard uh, mm-hmm. scholar who put out the book called The Valediction of Moses, a proto-Deuteronomic book. And, and the thing that both of us came to is that if you, let's back up for a moment, if you go through the Pentateuch, the five books attributed to Moses, Mm. and you look at, this is what I came up with, you read every occurrence of what it says that Moses wrote, and Moses wrote this, and Moses wrote that. The core of what Moses wrote would consist of the Decalogue, the, the the Covenant, as well as the blessings and the curses. I go through all of this in my book, mm-hmm. and, and that seems to be what is the main core of this Moses scroll that was discovered in a cave east of the Jordan. Uh, and so that's what made me begin to say, wait a minute, what if this does represent an early version which was later expanded. Now, a lot of people get nervous with that, but let me just make this point. Moses did not write everything between Genesis 1-1 and Deuteronomy 34-12, and people go, "Uh uh-oh, that's heretical. Is it? Did Moses, for instance, write about his own death and his Mm -hmm. burial? Who wrote that? People have a long time begin to debate this, and and, uh, they continue to debate this. Would the most humble man on all the earth write, and Moses was the most humble man on all the earth? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are certain things, and and by the way, there are more than 600 occurrences of the name Moses in the third person, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, it's not, it seems awkward that a person would write in the third person. It seems more natural, or at least less awkward, 
for Moses to say, and the Lord spoke unto me. Now, we do get that first person, but it's only in Deuteronomy, Jono, and it's not all of Deuteronomy. So that's what put me in Deuteronomy looking for that original scroll that Moses wrote. Remember in Deuteronomy 31, it says, and Moses finished writing the scroll of the Torah until the very end. He rolls it up. He gives it to the Levites and tells them to put it mitzad Aaron, in the side of the ark. Mm-hmm. But we still have three chapters left in Deuteronomy, and it just mm. said that he finished writing it. That's it. So what What did he finish writing? So the That's... search, Jono, is for that little scroll that you, you seem to recall mentioning in that conversation a decade ago with Nehemiah Gordon. What's mm. on that scroll? Yeah. Well, it would have contained the covenant. It would have contained the blessings and the curses. And here we just discovered in Deuteronomy 27 that we only get the curses and not the blessings. Yeah. Our Torah is already complete. But this manuscript that was discovered, that was believed to be an ancient version, does contain everything that it's supposed to contain, including the ten words— of the covenant, which are slightly different, Jono, than the ones in our Torah. Uh, well, let me just say this. The version in Exodus 20 and the version in Deuteronomy 5, they don't even agree in no. our Pentateuch as it is. Yeah. So you have to say, well, which one represents the actual 10-word covenant? That's well, right. do you say Exodus 20? If you do, what do you do with Deuteronomy 5? If you say Deuteronomy 5 is it, what do you do with Exodus 20? Either, because they're different. Yeah, yeah. either one of them is correct or both of them are wrong. Yeah, or, both of, or, or neither of them represent the actual words. So here's what we're sure. going to say. The interesting thing about this manuscript that was discovered in a cave, untouched, uh, what I believe to be an authentic scroll from an ancient time, I won't speculate on dating, But let's just say it predates, and what it does contain, not only does it contain the 10 words and blessings and curses, and it puts Levi in the middle, as he's supposed to Mm -hmm. be. It puts Levites in the middle, uh, and interestingly enough, the blessings correspond exactly with the 10 words, as do the curses. Mm. So for for commandment one, if you want to call it commandment, let's call it word one. There are 10 words, Aseret Hadevarim, the 10 words. Word one has a corresponding blessing and a corresponding curse. Word two has a corresponding blessing and curse. This is unique in any document uh, since forever. There's Mm. nothing like this document. It's Mm. the only thing that we have which contains such a precise uh, listing of commandment to blessing and curse. You talk about precision. Let me talk about clarity because uh, a comment that we often hear after people familiarize themselves with the document is that it is so smooth or it is so seamless. Words like that uh, are often the comment because, uh, as you say, each uh, commandment, each word has corresponding blessing and curse. And each blessing and each curse uh, lends a, a little bit of... Um, clarity to what is meant by the by the uh, commandment itself so it it really is a beautiful seamless smooth uh document 
that you can sit down and read. What? How long do you think it would take you to, to read through it, Ross? Uh, you could easily go through it with adding commentary between first light and midday. Oh, most certainly. How's that for an answer? Yeah, that, quite a lot of commentary. That's appropriate. <laughs> and, a, and, yeah. and, a, and, and a tea break. <laughs> yeah. It, um, the original absolutely. document, yeah. In fact, what I was going to do, um, there are a lot of other questions on this, but just to give a taste of this, um, I can read from my document uh, as an example, if you'd like me to, to give a, a word with the blessing and the curse. Yeah, you want me to do example. that? So let's, what we'll do is let, let's do one of these just to give the people an example. Uh, if they don't okay. have a book yet, this is really going to make them want to get it. And of course, uh, it is available on Amazon and there will be a link below this podcast for you to be able to get one. Uh, and then after that, should we take a little time to talk about the geography? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so okay. here's an example, Jonah. Are you ready? Go ahead. Okay, so uh, I'm just I'm opening up. I have a chart in the book which puts these side by side. So uh, sanctify. This is commandment or word number two in the Moses scroll. Mm -hmm. Sanctify the seventh day. Six days. I made heavens and the earth. Now, let me point something out, Jonah. This is first person. In in the Torah, as we have it in the Pentateuch, it talks about the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And mm. this is first person. Yep. Sanctify the seventh day. Six days, I made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. Uh, and I ceased on the seventh day. Therefore, you shall cease also, you, your animal, and all that is yours. I am Elohim, your Elohim. Now, the corresponding blessing, blessed is the man who sanctifies the seventh day and ceases thereon, and all the people, they will respond and they will say amen. Mm -hmm. Corresponding curse, cursed is the man who does work on the seventh day to profane it, and all of the people, they will respond and they will say amen. Each of the commands have a corresponding blessing and curse. There's nothing like this. The words are in first person spoken by Elohim, and they have a blessing and a curse, whereas our Deuteronomy 27 only has a curse. Mm. Now you want to talk geography? I do. Before we do that, just to give them another uh, little bit of curiosity, uh, the paleo has an interesting characteristic here in the, in the Decalogue. Um, uh -huh. do, you want to, do you want to just give us a little taster on, on how this is interesting? Yeah, it's very interesting because when this scroll was discovered and presented to the world to European scholars in 1883, they found one peculiar thing that they didn't understand and they thought it was evidence of a forgery. And that is that between each of the Hebrew words – there is what's called an interpunct, a dot, call it a, an ancient form of punctuation. But between the words, so if it says uh, Anok, Elohim, Eloheka, it would be Anok, interpunct, with a dot, I am, dot, Elohim, dot, your Elohim, dot. This occurs in the 10 words, and the, the people who looked at this in 1800s uh, said this in the 19th century, they said, oh, I see what the forger's doing. We only know that interpunks, these dots in the middle of the words, we only know these from lapidary, from engravings, from inscriptions on stone. They thought that a forger was mimicking something like the Moabite stone, mm -hmm. where you do see these interpunks in the text. 
And, and that's what they thought. Now, what's so interesting, and I point all this out in my book, is that when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, one interesting thing, this is noted by Emmanuel Tove, the great scholar of, of the Hebrew language in the Hebrew Bible, the Dead Sea Scrolls. He mm-hmm. said that we found at Qumran in the 11 caves, uh, now 12, you know, because we just had this other discovery at the Cave of Horrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we found 12 manuscripts written on leather in paleo. Interesting thing about the paleo is that they only occur in manuscripts which seem to represent what Moses wrote, mm-hmm. they also contain this. They contain interpunks. Mm. In now, they had no evidence on leather that people use. They they thought that that was all they had at the time in 19th century was evidence of using interpunks on engraved things like stone. Mm. So the forger, if there was a forger, and by the way, I'm going to do a spoiler here. There was no forger, Jono Vandor. This is real. Mm-hmm. This, this shook them to the core, and now we know that interpunks are written in leather documents, in Paleo-Hebrew, on works attributed to Moses. So the, the ten words in the Shapira document, the Moses scroll, contain uh, interpunks between every word. Uh, that's the way the words are divided. Because otherwise, let me make this point, the scroll is written in a continuous script, meaning that there's no break between the words. Now, according to the Talmud, according to everything that we know, it was always recorded and believed that in the most ancient form of the text, that words were not divided. Like if you pick up a Hebrew Bible today, you see Ani, space, Elohim, space. This scroll doesn't have that. It's one, it's continuous script. And uh, with the exception of when you see these interpunks. So that's something that I find is fascinating. And, the and, thing the, and that's equally, no one knew this. No one, no one knew, knew this. But the that. thing that's equally as fascinating is the speculation that the way that they appear on the document is the way that they would have appeared on the stone tablets given to Moses. This is a representation that's of the finger of God. Beautiful point. What if, and, and by the way, Hermann Goethe is one of the German scholars who examined this scroll the mm. first week of July 83. Two times in his document, which the Tylers had translated for us, Two times in that he exclaims, like with an exclamation point, could it be that we are looking at a representation of what it really looked like on the stone tablets? Mm. Because the idea is, wow, we know engravings use these interpunks. What if what Moses wrote in his scroll, he's looking at the stone tablets, Jono, Mm. He, he sees a word, he sees a dot. He sees a word, he sees a dot. So in his Torah, the Torah of Moses, he records just like he's looking at the stone tablets. That's right. Now, you just, uh, so, before, we, before we jump into geography, you just mentioned the Tylers, and I just wanted to say good day to Dave and happy birthday. Because we just passed That's right. His birthday. his birthday was the 24th. That's yeah. right. He just had his birthday. Good day, Dave. Very good. Um, Yep. All right, now, listen, we're jumping now to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26, I think, is where we are. Hang on. I need more space. I need a bigger desk. I'm going to put this over here. All right, yep. here we go now. Here's our. Here's a new problem. <laughs> we, have, we have another problem. Uh, 11. Okay. 
See, well, look, this is the beginning of Re'er. Okay, see, this day I set before you the blessing and the curse. Again, blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I enjoin upon you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the path that I enjoin upon you this day and follow other gods whom you have not experienced. Verse 29. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter, you shall pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Ival. Both are on the other side of the Jordan. Now, first of all, where are we? We're in uh, Nebo, right? Just tell right. everyone okay. where Nebo is. Okay. Shittim, if if you think about Micah 6, 5, by the way, says that their last stop on the east side of the Jordan is the region of Shittim, and the first stop on the west side is Gilgal. So we have this uh, trajectory west to east, and if you look at uh, if you look at a map, you can see these locations. You can see Mount Nebo, which is east of the Jordan, and they're looking west. So that's the idea. He's saying when you cross. Moses is saying when you cross over, he's it's like he's saying look behind you. You know the direction mm. of the going down of the sun. Look to the west. I mean, look yeah, look to the west. So. The idea is that there that's what it's going to be. When you cross over, the question is, where exactly is this? Where hmm. is Eval and Grazim? This is the question because it goes on to say, uh, both are on the other side of the Jordan, beyond the west road, that is in the land of the Canaanites, who dwell in the Aravah. So it's in the Aravah near Gilgal. Mm -hmm. So yep. we know where Gilgal is, don't we? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, and it brings up my good friend and, and your friend. Daniel. That I, yeah, Daniel. I was going to get Daniel to participate. He had other things going on. But Daniel is my go-to guy, Daniel Wright, when I want to talk geography. The interesting thing about Daniel's work is, uh, well, first of all, he designed the cover to the mm -hmm. Moses scroll, but he's not, that's not what he's known for, just that. He did that. He's, He's done plenty of man. other things. Yeah. Multi-talented. He also has worked very closely and designed the cover for and and helped with the research on um, a book by uh, Ad, uh, Adam Zertal. Now, Zertal has put forth some evidence of the location of Joshua's altar. We've done this on uh, the Tanakh tour. We've been to this place mm -hmm. and we've looked out and we said, oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah. So most people have an idea that Ebal and Grazim are located there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't want to skip anything because you asked me specifically, do we know where Gilgal is? So my oh. point about Daniel is Daniel says that Gilgal is not a specific, it's not necessarily isolated to a specific place near Jericho, though that can be one of these spots. But he says that Gilgal denotes a stone circle, if you will, an encampment, a campsite. And so there are several of these Gilgalim throughout the Holy Land, some of which are in the location near Shechem, but mm -hmm. there's also one near Jericho. Now, let me, let me look at, let me tell you something. So I pulled up my JPS commentary by, interestingly enough, Tigay, not Hanan Tigay, the, the gentleman who wrote the, the Lost Book of Moses, but his father, who is a brilliant scholar mm -hmm. and wrote the Deuteronomy uh, commentary for uh, JPS. 
Now listen to this. In, in his reference to what you just read in Deuteronomy 11.30, it says that is in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the air of Aravah near Gilgal. The me- this is Tigay. The meaning of this part of the verse is uncertain. It seems to indicate that Mount Eval and Mount Grizim are in the Aravah, the Jordan Valley, near Gilgal, mm. a city in the Aravah. This is, he goes on to say, geographically impossible since Ebal and Grizim are in the highlands, some 30 miles west of the valley Mm. and of that particular Gilgal. Uh, He goes on, if the text is to make any sense as it stands, we must take the phrase that's in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the Arabah, not as giving the location of the two mountains, but of part of the westward road. Now, but that's not all. He goes on to say, however, this is not the smoothest way to read the verse, since it requires mentally inserting the bracketed words that is, and some scholars believe that the verse is really internally contradictory. They consider, he goes on to say, that this may indicate something strange, like what if, and he goes on, he talks more about this, what if there is a Gilgal and, uh, and, and an Eval and Grazim that are in the Aravah directly across? Now, he brings up another interesting point, Jono. It seems that in Deuteronomy 27, it says on the day when you cross, when you cross over, it, it indicates that it's going to be right away. As soon as you cross over, mm. there are going to be these Levites in the middle, you're going to have people on Grazim and Eval, almost as if it happens the day they cross. So we have to wonder, where is Eval and Grazim? So in order to head north, I mean, you and I have been there. We've, we've been on Mitzvah Yeriko yep. looking down over the plains there, and it's a beautiful view, and I hope to take the tour there next November. The Tanakh tour, by the way, dear listeners, we're doing it again this November. You, me, Rabbi Tobias Singer. And yeah, last time we were there, by the way, it was was it February and March? I think mm-hmm. we went back there to Mitzvah Yeriko, looking looking down over the plains of this particular area. And um, I, you know, looking, it, it's Gilgal is directly west of Mount Nebo, right? As we understand it to be. Yes. Yeah. And and then there is. This is where we need Daniel because he could say, "Well, technically, it's this many degrees." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, then you would. And then there's and then there's the event of Jericho, which is right there. Um, It just seems to flow that a Mount Gerizim and a Mount Eval are right there where you cross the Jordan. To to, if I'm I'm trying to think, if we were to drive the bus from that area up to uh, Elon Moray, where we usually go to view these uh, these mountains, I have that. I have that in my notes. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell gonna, you how far I, it is. Let me guess. Can I, can I guess? I reckon it's an hour yeah, to guess. an hour and a half drive. Okay. It probably is because it's 30 miles as the crow flies. As the crow flies. 30 yeah. miles from the area of Jericho and over 4,000 feet uphill. And, mm. uh, you know, a climbing elevation of 4,000 feet. It's 4, up in, the, in the hills of, uh, of Ephraim, right? Yes. So, so you're talking about a major. Now, what, what's so troubling about this or challenging is that the text seems to give this impression that it's as soon as you cross. So one mm. more note, I, I know it's tough to listen to people read to you, 
But in Tigay, he makes this point. Most of the rabbinic commentators felt obliged to adopt far-fetched explanations of how the Israelites reached Ebal and Grazim in a single day. Mm. According to one view, a miracle made it possible. According to another, these were not the well-known Mount Ebal and Grazim by Shechem, but a smaller pair of mountains with the same names located near Gilgal, where the Israelites entered the Promised Land. So, we have an interesting thing going on. There is also a reference in a Dead Sea Scroll of Joshua that indicates that that Ebal and Grazim are in the Aravah, directly mm-hmm. across, just like we're talking. Mm-hmm. And then there's a reference in the in the Jerusalem uh, um, Talmud in in Sota that yes. says that. That Ebal and Grazim are in the Aravah. So which is it? Where yeah. is this uh, this place where the the blessing and the cursing takes place? Well, now according the, to Edan, go ahead. Yeah. No, well, yeah, I, I, I was just I was just going to say that um, uh, which is it? It's just an interesting and curious thing that in the Moses Scroll, uh, it reads very closely to Deuteronomy eleven. Shall I read it? Shall I read this passage? Yeah, go ahead. It says, mm-hmm. see, I'm putting before you, then I'm reading from your translation. See, I'm putting before you today a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you will listen to the commandments and the statutes, and a curse if you will not listen, uh, but turn from the way which I'm commanding you today. And it will be that when Elohim brings you into the land which you are going to possess, you will give the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And here it is. And it asks the question, are they not across the Jordan in the direction of the going down of the sun? In the land of the Canaanites, opposite Gilgal, beside the oaks of Moray? And that, that yeah. is the question, Moses. That's the question we're asking right now. Are they not? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, so it it confirms and it reads that way. Now, you were going to say a, a note. Yeah, I was going to say that Edan had access when he did his work and he published. He also published a transcription and a translation. And uh, so he had one document that no one else had. Uh, which I now have. So mm. when we publish our revised uh, standard edition of the Moses Scroll, we'll include these as footnotes. But he says very clearly, uh, he compares Deuteronomy 1130 mm-hmm. um, with, uh, I'm going to read part of it. I'm looking at the Hebrew here. He says, uh, um, uh, in in the way of the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites, this is Deuteronomy 1130, uh, Hayoshev, uh, who dwell, the Canaanites who dwell in the Aravah, opposite the Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Mori. Now, if you look at the uh, the Moses scroll, it says, in the way of the going down of the sun, that's the same, in the land of the Canaanites, get this, in the Aravah, it doesn't say the Canaanites who dwell in the Aravah, it's, it doesn't have that word, who dwell in he says that the original he proposes says what the, the Moses scroll says in the Aravah, opposite the Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Moray or the Terebinths, as some translations have it. So the question becomes, it's not only do we have some theological challenges, we also have some geographical challenges. Mm. And I'm still looking at this. You know, Daniel, I was on the phone with him right before you and I began to talk, and he has some very good challenges to say, wait a minute now, let's look at this. He sent me probably four or five different maps. 
So the jury can still be out. But what is so fascinating about this is that a major part of the Moses scroll has the covenant, the blessings and the curses, which are to be spoken out loud on Mm -hmm. Mount Ebal and Grizim. And our Deuteronomy doesn't even have the blessings. It's only in the Moses scroll. Mm. And and in the Moses scroll, we have corresponding blessing and curses to the words, which I think is fascinating. It is fascinating. So one last fascinating thing, and then maybe we'll uh, wrap this up. Uh, As we mentioned in Deuteronomy, it has the Levites on Mount Gerizim. The reason why they're there is because you have to have six aside. And the reason they put Levi there is because they mentioned Joseph is also on Mount Gerizim. Ah. Now, the way that this is solved, Ross, go for it. The way that the Moses scroll solves it is very interesting because it puts Levi where he's supposed to be, in the middle. Mm -hmm. So now you only have five. So what do you do? You don't list Joseph, but you have Ephraim and Manasseh. So now you have six on uh, Grazim, you have six on Ebal, and the Levites are in the middle. And there are other texts which pull the Levites out of the count. So a lot of times people might say, wait a minute, you didn't list Levi and you got 12. Well, the Levites are a separate group. They're used for some special purpose. Mm. Uh, Deuteronomy, by the way, treats the Levites differently than we find in the rest of the Pentateuch. So mm-hmm. we may have to do another show on that. But yeah, oh, uh, you're, a, a you're a Levite. You, I'm a Levite. You know, so you're, I know you're into all this. So, so is, so is Tony. Uh, so is uh, Yoel. Good day to Yoel, by the way. And um, he's, yeah. he's reading your book at the moment. We're really uh, waiting, eagerly waiting to hear from him. Um, Yoel right. Halevi in, uh, in Israel, uh, Hebrew in Israel. Uh, so there are plenty of um, uh, lists, aren't there, of the tribes in the Torah that breaks up Joseph into Manashe and Ephraim, uh, yep. as as they should be, and uh, and lo and behold, that is the case here in the Moses scroll. And so we have six aside with the Levites in the middle. Everything is solved. It's just so smooth. We've run out of time. Is there anything, any uh, parting thoughts, my friend? I tell you, this is a, it's a fascinating document. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that people are beginning all over the world to read the Moses Scroll. And, and I truly believe that it represents, just like Don Dershowitz says, it's so interesting he comes up with the same exact thing. I believe this represents the absolute core what Moses actually wrote, and I think that it would behoove our listeners to get the book, to read it, and consider it, and also get Don Dershowitz. It, it, now, his book is a lot more of an academic work. It's got a lot of Hebrew in it. It's got a lot of grammatical, philological things, but still, you can get a lot of it. Well, so a lot get of our that. trips to your listeners are into that. That's right. That's right. So this is, yeah. a, this is a good audience to tell them, get both of these books. That's, That's right. right. Both of these books. Now, you can get The Moses Scroll on uh, on Amazon, uh, themosesscroll.com. Just go to themosesscroll.com. I'll put a link underneath this podcast. You can go there. You can purchase the book, and you can put it back on num- – get Ross back on the number one best-selling list. That's what, that's what we need to do uh, instead of number two. And, that's uh, right. And listen, uh, for those of you who – Oh, wait, have, wait, wait. Jono, 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 I'm yeah. sorry. 
we're back in number one. Number one. Hey, we're back in number one. <laughs> it was That's only excellent. for a short time we were we were losers. Now we're back in number one position. <laughs> we're back in number one spot. That's great. Uh, for those who have purchased the book, and remind me next time, Ross, we've got, we've got to do this. Um, those who have purchased the book, go to Amazon, leave a five star review, uh, leave comments there. We would love to read those on these uh, programs. So remind me to do that next time, and we'll we'll address some of those. All right, dear friends, that is it uh, until this time next week. We hope you have a, a great week and have a wonderful Pesach. That's right. That's right. And uh, and we'll do another good show next week. And during the, during the Festival of Pesach, we'll do another one for you. So yeah. let's talk um, more about the Moses, bro. See you then. Thanks, Ross. Mm-hmm.